Oh, good morning. It's good that you're now awake and alive and alert and ready to go. It is good to be here with you at uh, Golden Hills. Um, yeah, I was just reflecting this morning in the, in the earlier service how good it's just to be together. Um, it might str- sound kind of strange, but um, we've, we've only been in church about five four or five times in the last three years, um, like this. And so if you have concerns about that, we can talk after the service. But um, where we are, there's not a whole lot of, uh, of churches. And so it's, it's just great to, to be able to gather as the church. This is what God created us to do, not just to be here, but to be the church. Um, and uh, I, with Paul, as he wrote to the church in Philippi in chapter 1, he says, I thank God. God for the partnership that we have together in the gospel. As you continue to live out that here in Brentwood and Antioch and the surrounding communities, and as you guys send people like us and Jeff and Judy to places like across the pond to share the good news, together we are part of this global outreach of getting the great name of Christ to the nations. Okay. I want to try something. This, uh, this went over okay in the first surface. Um, but uh, I'm going to say a word, and I want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. This could be really dangerous, yep. Um, and I would like to th- probably have thought this through a little bit better. But nonetheless, it's part of my notes, and so I don't want to steer too far from that. But here's a word. You ready? Okay, that's not very encouraging. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> All right, here it is. The fir- here's the word. Missionary. I heard strange in the first service. That did- I said I resembled that comment. I heard servant sent Africa. Yes, maybe you're a little timid, timid to get your answer out, but maybe you thought some things in your head, right? If you're honest, you probably thought some things in your head like big black Bible or uh, fedora or um, uh, lived in African village or uh, uh, eat bugs. Um, maybe you thought of wear sandals with socks on. Maybe I don't know, whatever, whatever you thought of. Um, uh, the word missionary has a lot of connotations to it. And I love how we, as a church here, refer to uh, them as global partners, because that's really what we are, right? We are helping you, as you continue to live out the gospel here, to be able to do that in another place that can sometimes be strange. Now, for the record, um, I do own a big Bible, um, and uh, I have lived in an African village, um, and I have eaten my fair share of, of grasshoppers, um, and uh, my kids love them, by the way, uh, and I do wear sandals about 99% of the time, um, but without socks. That's, that's just too weird. <laughs> don't, I mean, don't look, I'm not, now you're probably looking at each other's feet, but don't, <laughs> right? I see some sandals up here, and uh, I see some feet. Those are good looking. Um, so we are uh, the Huts. Uh, uh, my wife here, Sarah, and we have four kids. Two of them were born uh, in Chad. Unfortunately, my wife Sarah and the kids are not able to be here. They're uh, in Indiana. They're they're doing school, and so we're in a new phase of our life. We have four kids in school. First time in ten years. We're kind of getting used to that um, and liking that a little bit. And uh, but they send greetings from Indiana. And they particularly Sarah is really bummed because we really in, they. Our kids and Sarah really enjoy being with you all as a church, and so hopefully she can come back another time because she really would love that, and you're stuck with me, and it would be so much better for you guys to have Sarah and the kiddos here too. Um, So uh, we are sent, uh, you know, with a name like African Huts, I guess it's, uh, it's, it's, it was meant to be, right, Uh, that we would be living in a place like Africa, almost like peanut butter and jelly going together. But we uh, are sent from churches like Golden Hills, uh, to go uh, into the places in the world where people have not yet heard about the good news. And like I said, we are so grateful for the relationship that we have with you as a church and look forward to continuing that and seeing even people from am- amongst our midst here today continuing to go and send and give to what God is doing in places of the world like Chad. 
We believe, though, that this is part of the purpose and mission of the church. What is the church? That's, that's the question this morning. Uh, maybe you're familiar with the TV show Family Feud, right? And if this morning we were Family Feud, hopefully more the family part than the feud part, we would, if we were to survey 100 people, maybe there would be 100 different answers about what the church would be. Oftentimes we think of the church as a building, right, with a steeple and you open the doors and see all the people, right? Or it's a place where we go and sing spiritual songs about Jesus or God, a place where we sit and listen to an inspiring talk from God's word. But I would say the Bible is so, has so much more to say about what is our mission and purpose. The purpose and mission of the church is so much more than a building and so much more than songs and so much more than God's reading and preaching from God's word. We're going to look at that this morning. What is the purpose of the church? In other words, why do we do this? Why do we do church? What is the church's mission? Or where are we going as a church? These are questions that... Uh, we are going to be looking and interacting with today as we get into God's word. I guess you've got to leave it to the missionary to talk about what the mission and the purpose of the church is. But I will tell you that the mission of the church is more than missions. We'll look at that today from Romans chapter 15. If you have a copy of God's word, I want to encourage you to grab it for yourself to see it. Um, Romans chapter 15 is where we will be. Romans is a letter. It was a letter. That's right. Paul, the person who had wrote this letter, wrote it with his own pen on paper, and had sent it to uh, the church there in Rome. Um, Paul was actually on a mission trip when he wrote this letter. He was in Greece. What a lovely place that would be, right? Uh, He, during his lifetime, made many journeys to different places, mission trips around the Mediterranean. He traveled in places like Turkey and Greece and Italy. Each time, Uh, spreading the fame of God's name and also planting churches along the way. Uh, We have in our New Testament seven letters that he wrote to churches that he visited, and you can read them for yourself. The difference between the letter that he wrote here to the church in Rome is that before writing this, he had never visited the church in Rome before. He had only heard about them and heard about the way that they were growing in confidence and love for Christ and He wrote them to encourage them, and what we see and read in the book of Romans is that it would become really his magnum opus, talking about this great salvation that we have in Christ. And the truth is that whether you are a new believer in Christ or you're an elderly scholar, this book, when we open it and you read it from chapter 1 to chapter 16, it can cause anyone in between the new believer and the scholar to just tremble because of our great salvation that we have. Paul sums up the letter in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, and he says, the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith and for faith. But here in Romans 15, he continues that as he wraps up his letter He will tackle the question, what is the the purpose and the mission of the church? And I'm going to summarize that to you in one statement. And that is, the purpose and mission of the church is to be a people who belong to God, believe the gospel, and bring that gospel to the entire world. So for the the purpose and mission of the church is not so much about what we do, it's about who we are and what we are becoming. Let's explore that a little bit more as we look into the book of Romans chapter 15. First, we are a church that belongs to God. We belong to God. Look at verse uh, 7 in Romans chapter 15. 
Paul here in his conclusion, he's just been talking about the diversity that's in the church and how they need to rally around their headship, their, their oneness in Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 7, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Paul begins with a welcome. It's as if he says, hey, we have something, we have someone in common. Let's get behind him. Let's lift him up. Let's welcome all into this Christ. If you have a living relationship with Jesus and you consider this your church, then listen. Actually, look. Look around for a moment. It's okay. Look. There couldn't be a more diverse people, right? Appearance and looks and skin and age and degrees and roles and skills and strengths and weaknesses and struggles and hopes, maturities and freedoms. There couldn't be a more diverse group of people, but yet we can gather under one banner, under one name, that is Christ. That's what Paul is saying. We, even though we're diverse, come, welcome. We are part of this body, this one body, this one Christ. Yet, as a church, we are part of something greater and bigger than us. We are part of someone who is greater and more wonderful. You know, as a church, it's, it's an unlikely collection of people, isn't it? With, with earthly eyes, it's hard to see that we belong together, but with spiritual ones, it's clear. It's what Paul is saying is, if you belong to Jesus, you're with me. If you belong to Jesus, you're with me. And the spirit, that spirit of oneness, that spirit of, of common purpose, that spirit of oneship under Christ, brings, what does it say in verse 7? It brings glory and worship and praise to Christ. I first got connected to the church when I was, uh, I was a teenager. We would, we would go to church often as a family, but mostly around the holidays. I attended church, but I didn't really belong. Oh, I guess you probably agree with my mama that I was a pretty handsome young boy, right? Um, but if my mama was here, she would tell you something different, that I was kind of like a, uh, a four-eyed, a flat-top punk uh, as a kid. Uh, kind of still am. Um, but uh, I, I, I would rather have much been part of my group of friends uh, who were uh, some rascals and troublemakers. Um, I caused a lot of problems for my teachers and my, mom, and my mama. She would probably tell you that if she was here. I was uh, often identified with my goofiness and my rebelliousness and class clown titles. And it often left me empty and ashamed. Um, I was a broken, angry, lonely, and confused teenager. But that was until my mom and my stepdad uh, moved from where we had grown up in the inner city of Milwaukee to a little podunk town in central Wisconsin. And part of that move, my, my uh, stepdad uh, got a phone book out. You remember what those were, right? You know, before Google, uh, you had phone books. And uh, my stepdad opened the phone book and said, hey, we kind of just want to have a fresh start in a new place. And he opened to the church section and kind of did that. And we ended up at this little church. And I remember walking into that church. It was much different than the church that I grew up in. Um, and I was kind of a pew crawler at that in the early, my early days of church going. But at, uh, at this new church, everybody walked in with a Bible. That was weird. And in fact, uh, during the service, the pastor said, open your Bibles. And I had no clue what I was doing. And, uh, but the next week, my mama went out to uh, Sam's Club and bought us all Bibles. Uh, and I still have that rainbow study Bible to this day. But we kept going. We kept going to that church. And the next week, people welcomed us. And they came alongside us. We were a mess. And they loved on us. They showed us the spirit of Jesus. And the church became a new place, a safe place. A place to belong. It was a place where I made new brothers and sisters in faith. And they encouraged me and helped me not to be identified by what I was, but who I am in Christ. 
and uh, they encouraged my love for Christ and they helped develop spiritual gifts in my life that, as God was revealing them and it was a place that cultivated my passion for God and compassion for people. It was a place that sent me out into the community to be a light. Now that church wasn't perfect. It had lots of words. But it was a place that showed me grace. It was a place that uh, cared for me and reminded me that I was part of something. I was part of someone that was greater and bigger than, than me. My identity was new and I belonged to Christ and I belonged to a new family. First, we belong, we belong to God, but we also belong to this historical, redemptive story that God has been unfolding throughout history. Paul becomes a historian for a moment. Look at verse 8. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Some, some of us might not look like history. It might bore us, or it might have been the boring subject for you in, in school, but God is a spectacular historian. He's been unfolding a story through whole, uh, human history that is incredible. And what Paul does here is he reintroduces us to Jesus and how Jesus fits into the story, or he's actually been the focal point of the story from the very beginning. This Jesus who was promised so long ago, this Jesus who came from Paul's people, this Jesus that met Paul on a Damascus road and altered his life completely, this Jesus who, who called him out and sent him to proclaim what Jesus had done in his life to anyone and everyone across the world. To understand the purposes and mission of the church, you really got to look back, look back into history. The Old Testament, which is the history of God unfolding his purposes to his people Israel. What we see is God was a fascinating author and orchestrator of history. Un folding for us this global story with an eternal hope, a living hope. If you've ever been to an old uh, cathedral, you've probably seen stained glass windows, kind of like the ones that you see as you walk into church this morning. These stained glass windows, some of these old cathedrals are just beautiful. They have these big, bold uh, windows that as light shines in, it just it can overwhelm you with, uh, and oftentimes these windows were, were built to have a function to bring light into the building, but also to tell stories. And you, sometimes you walk around these old cathedrals and they, they tell the story of God from creation to Christ and what God has been doing in Christ through the church. Do you know that recently the, the world's largest stained glass window was recently built and it was built in Kansas, of all places? Here's the, win here's the window right there. It's, it's the size of a basketball court. It's one pane of window. And it weighs 16,000 pounds. And it cost the church uh, $3.5 million to build. Now, you could probably think of other ways to allocate the money but, uh, other than building a big window. But it's, it's, it, it can just make the jaw drop, right? Just to see. And it's what this window portrays is the story of the gospel from creation to Christ and what God has been doing through the church and all surrounding Christ. Now, that's pretty impressive. But I would dare to say that what you have here in your hand, this book, is far more impressive. 40 plus authors over 1,500 years with one golden thread telling us that we are all part of a global story that, that God is unfolding in human history. A plan to redeem people for his praise and for his glory. Let's take a moment to see this. So what Paul does is he creates a window for us to see into God's purposes throughout history. Verse 9 Paul continues and he says, As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing of your name. And again it said, Rejoice, 
O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him, in him will the Gentiles hope. What Paul does here is he just doesn't pick four random verses from the old books. He strategically picks these four verses which show us from the hall of heroes, from the, the, the Israelites' storybooks. And he shows us God's unfolding purposes are the same from beginning to end until now. And we see from the beginning, from Abraham's tree, that God created a people to be a tr- his treasured possession. His purpose was never, though, for them alone, for God's people alone. It was meant to spill over to others God's purposes from the beginning was to receive praise from all peoples and all nations of the world. This is the purpose and mission that got lost. We read about this, right? As we read the Old Testament, we see God's people blow it. And what they did is they just hoarded for themselves God's story. They, this is our story. And they didn't want to share it. And they, they, what they did is they became a closed group. If you're not inside, then you're outside. And they hated and despised the nations. We read about this, right? But we see that was never part of God's story. That was never part of the heartbeat of God. To make his point, Paul quotes these four very important scriptures. And what we notice is this movement or this flow of God that unfolds in these verses, Paul moves from speaking about the Jews praising God among the Gentile nations. Gentile is just another word for nation, or you often probably hear the word Greek. Uh, it's just a word for nation or peoples, peoples outside the peoples of God. So they, he says, praising them among the Gentiles to praising them with the nations, to the Jews calling the nations to praise God, and then in this Messiah, all peoples praising the Messiah. Everything God has done in human history has been to form a people from among all peoples for the praise of his name. This is why Jesus came, to die and to fulfill that purpose. And this is why Jesus builds the church to fulfill that mission. What would it look like to substitute the word Gentile? with your, your street or your, your neighbor, your neighborhood or your town. We belong to God. We belong to this historical redemptive story that's unfolding in, hu- in human history. And we belong as a people of worship, who enjoy God. Don't you see, like, in those verses that Paul shares with us, that there's this worship theme that's woven in between them and among them. There's an anthem that God has been writing from the, from the beginning of history, and the anthem is to lift him up, to give him praise, to give him worship, to enjoy him, and to enjoy him forever. John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, which is a great book, I would even just encourage you to read the first two chapters. He, he, he says that we exist to worship. God created us to, to worship. And missions exist because worship of Jesus doesn't. Jesus came for the praise from every tribe, every language, every person and every nation. We see this in the end game of the church in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. We see that this is why we exist. This is our mission to lift up the praise and worship of Christ from our lives and our lips to the nations and the people around us. 
He came for the praise of people in California, China, and Chad. He came for the praise of people in Berlin, Bangkok, and Brentwood. He came for the Omega peoples and the nearly 6,741 unreached people groups who have never heard about the praise of Christ. Where we live in Chad, um, there's 141 different peoples with their own distinct languages. Could you imagine that? In a country about, 50, about the size of three Californias and 15 million people, there are 141 different languages. So these pink dots on this uh, map of Chad represent each of the groups where there is less than 2% who have, who have come to faith. 80 peoples of those, of, those, of those 141 peoples have never heard about Christ. They don't, have a langu- they don't have the scripture translated in their language. They don't have a witness among themselves to reach themselves. They are unreached. That would be like, that would be like going to Antioch or Oakland or Oakley and somebody over there speaks another language and they've never heard. I mean, maybe they think like, maybe they just they feel like they speak another language already. But, um, but this is the reality that people exist in Chad. They, they need to hear. And I'm glad we rejoice in, in the work that's being done and seeing the word of God translated into those languages. Much of the hard work that, that uh, Judy and uh, Jeff have been a part of for so many years there in Chad, helping one by one seeing those languages reached in their mother tongues so that they can hear for themselves this wonderful story and not just hear it, but be a part of it. In the Westminster Confession, it says in the first phrase that the chief end of God and the chief end of man or the chief end of us is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Let's not become a church like what we read in the Old Testament of the people of God, the people of Israel. Let's not be the church that's about hoarding people like us or closed towards people not like us or despising those who are outside of us. It's our worship that attracts people to God. It's our oneness, the diversity that we have in the body, but yet our unity under the name of Christ that brings people, that attracts people to who Jesus is. They see, how can this group get along but for Christ? Who are those outsiders that you are sent to worship amongst and with and to call and invite and welcome to the family of God? I love as you walk in uh, these doors every, every Sunday, you're kind of bombarded by these big letters on the wall, right? That talk about what is the mission and purpose of Golden Hills, right? What, what, why does Golden Hills exist here in Brentwood? And, that is, and it says we are a community growing together in worship of Jesus and sharing his love with others. I'll say, I'll say that the, we have seen God work in Chad in the past few years like we have not seen before. It's been, uh, despite of COVID-19 and despite a coup d'etat that happened just in April, we have seen uh, a work, a miraculous work, a humbling work. It's been the result of decades of prayer, long before I ever entered and stepped foot in Chad. Decades of prayer from churches like Golden Hills who have been pouring out and saying, God, would you do a work in Chad? Will you save people who have not yet heard? Will you do um, only what you can do? We shouldn't be surprised that we've been able to see a harvest, where we've been able to see new believers in baptisms uh, in the past few years. I've had the joy of being able to disciple a small group of men um, each week, walking through the Old Testament, walking through the New Testament. And I would tell you what, this is a motley crew. Um, Outside of this room, these people would be enemies. They're from different tribes, different peoples, different languages. Uh, uh, They would probably be, uh, they would be more more so, more probably a friendly term would be, so they, they they would be enemies. But they, outside that room, they would be enemies. 
These guys, though, have been an incredible joy to walk with, a messy bunch, uh, a hard bunch. And to be honest to say that discipleship of these guys has been both my greatest joy and greatest frustration in the last couple of years. But seeing that these guys studying God's word together, living God's word together, confronting and loving and worshiping the Lord together has been a miraculous, miraculous to see how Christ brings people together. It's been, yes. And today around the city there are dozens of groups worshiping the Lord together from unreached people groups including the Omega people to the praise and the glory of Christ. To the praise and glory of Christ. We belong to this incredible story. We belong as a community of worshipers and we belong to this living hope that we read about in verse 13. Actually, it kind of bumps up to verse 12. It says, In him the Gentiles hope. Hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I love what it says in, in, in 1 Peter 1.3, that this is a living hope. A living hope. It's alive. It's real. It's tangible. It can be ours. The hope that's eternal. And the result of this, this hope, it says in verse 13, it it brings joy. True joy. Lasting joy and peace. It's incredible that we as the church have this common belonging to something, someone bigger and greater than us. We are part of this redemptive story, this worship anthem, this eternal living hope. So we may be wondering, though, like, what is God doing in the world right now? What is he doing right here, right now? I would say he's been doing this... He's been doing what he's been doing from the beginning of history, from the dawn of creation, from Adam and Moses and David. The same thing he sent Jesus to do 2,000 years ago. God is saving people from among all peoples of the earth for the praise of his name. I would say a half reading of the Bible with one eye closed would lead us to this inescapable conclusion. Christopher Wright in his book, The Mission of God, of God's people, a great book. Again, uh, I would recommend, I think it's resourced in your, your notes today. It says, he said, it's not so much the case that the mission, God has a mission for the church in the world, as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. And you and I are part of this family business, right? The story, this anthem that God is unfolding in history and we get to be a part of it. Amazing, right? We are a people who want to belong. God created us to belong. He created us to be like relational groupies. Even God himself is like that in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's he's relational. He's a a group. He's one. Think of all the groups that you belong to, right? I mean, uh, like work groups and student groups, social groups, community groups, sports teams, uh, maybe even more specifically like 4-H groups or Harley groups or Jeep groups. Even uh, right now we're in, in uh, the Midwest and a Jeep group of about 200, 300 groups, a uh, group of Jeeps came through our town. It was pretty impressive. My little boy was like, wow, look at all the trucks. Uh, you know, uh, it was, uh, if you're a Jeep owner, that, that's pretty cool. These groups give us sometimes a, a sense of, of belonging and common purpose, but they can only do so much. I mean, can you really go to your Jeep group and say, I'm, I'm really struggling with my marriage? That'd be a little awkward, right? <laughs> or do you go to your 4-H group and say, I'm really struggling with some addictions? Uh, they'll be like, uh, you probably need to find another group for that. I love that we come to the church and we can be part of a group that gives eternal hope 
and it gives, we can be part of this eternal mission together, helping one another to go into this mission. Second, the church is a people who believe the gospel. Paul moves from this redemptive story that we are a part of as a church to a life-transforming belief in that story. He takes a personal moment to share his own purpose and mission, although very unique. And he directs those words to his church, to us, to encourage their belief. Belief in what? Well, let's look at what he says in verse 14. And also it kind of bumps up to verse 13. I'll read that again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied, verse 14, about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by the way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. First, we believe, we are people who believe the gospel, the good news. Paul is talking to a people who know it, who believe it, who teach it, who live it, who share it. But one of the dangers with a word like gospel is that we we can love it so much, rightly so, and we want to share it passionately, rightly again, that we don't take time to explore its biblical depth and weight. When Paul speaks about the gospel here, he refers to this good news breaking into history. That God created the world and he made it perfect. And he made and breathed life into man. He desired to have a relationship with mankind and walked among them and had a relationship with them. But mankind desired to do something different, to go their own way, and chose to disobey God. Therefore, God sent them away and sent them out. But God, in his love and his mercy and his kindness, he came in the person of Christ to live amongst us, to be our sacrifice to show us the way to get back into a right relationship with God. Now that's good news. But that good news also demands a response. As we see in Mark chapter 1 verse 14, that response is to repent of our sins and to believe in Christ for our salvation. Now the church is proof. You are proof that of the gospel. You are, the gospel makes the, the church relevant and hopeful that we as broken people who came from the bottom, came from the cellar, enemies against God, orphans without fathers, can be brought in as friends, as children, as adopted ones into God's story. That's that's what we believe. This is our story, church. Moreover, we are people who believe that the gospel has a transformational effect. It's just not a story, a good story. It's a story that changes lives. It's a story that gives us a new way, gives us a new hope, gives us a renewed mind. And we are new creatures in Christ. We are good news people. We believe that the good news matters. And believing the gospel is just one part, but living the gospel, showing the gospel, sharing the gospel, being the gospel 
is the full part. And if we preach a gospel of transformation that has, has an effect, we need to show some evidence of that transformation in our lives, in the community we live, even if it's messy. Even if it's messy. The good news is not good news unless it moves us to take action. Paul describes this action like a priest. It's fairly interesting. I mean, you look at those verses, there's just so much like temple and worship language in there, right? You see it to be, it says in uh, verse 16, to be a minister of, the, of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of God, offering the Gentiles and sanctifying them. Uh, you know, in the culture, Paul, this is really fresh and familiar to Paul. This is like part of his story. Uh, a Jewish pr- priest would serve the people in, in a few ways and They would speak God's word to the people and stir them to worship, and they would serve God with their lives. This is an image that was familiar to many Jews, many people that Paul was writing to, but it was also an image where he's connecting this all to the church. As you read about in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, is that you... You are that chosen race. You are part of that royal priesthood. You are that holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim his excellencies who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The gospel message isn't just good news. It's news that has an effect. And its effect brings about change. Just as salt gives flavor to food and just as light helps you to see, the gospel has that effect on the human soul. It has that effect on us, right? As Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 13 and 16, he says, you, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light lamps and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives life or light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to God the Father. This is uh, the moment where I need to give a confession of a reluctant missionary. I mean, most people think that I wake up in the morning and sprinkle the gospel on my cornflakes or my oatmeal, (laughs) whatever you eat for breakfast. (laughs) But to be honest, some days I think it would be better, I would be a better missionary if I wasn't one. You know what I mean? I mean, I take out the stinky trash multiple times a week, and I burn rice on the stovetop, and I wrestle with poverty. Um, I try to make space for my, my, my devotional life. I question what I'm doing and if I'm making a difference in anybody's life every single day. I try to give my kids attention and discipleship. I try to love my wife. Um, I make trillions of mistakes, and truth be told, I hide from people at times. I hide because I don't feel adequate in language, and I don't feel adequate in culture, and sometimes I just want to live normally. I just want to be a few miles from a Chipotle so I can get a burrito, you know? I grieve. I seek Christ. I run away from Christ. I do many of the same things I did in my home country, except that there's more dust and bugs. But I see the gospel's effect. I see the gospel's effect on my life. And I'm sure you can see the gospel's effect on your life. You know the gospel's greatest effect is on you. The gospel's greatest effect is on you and the people around you. 
as they see the gospel take effect on you, that you are a different person, you are changing, you are growing to love Christ. And even when it is messy and hard, you are still persevering because of the spirit of Christ that's in you. The gospel has a transforming effect on you. And it can have a transforming effect on your marriage and your home. It's like a beautiful lamp light to the world around you. And it often shines best through those broken cracks and those pains and mistakes where people can see that, hey, it's because of Christ that you're whole and good and growing and changing. Do you believe that? That's why we need to to believe the gospel. It's just not a story. It's our story. It's a story of what we're becoming because of Christ. And it is a story of who we are in Christ, that we are his and we belong to him. But not just that, but we as a church are a people who bring that gospel into the entire world. Paul wraps up his thoughts with like a road map that lead to where he's heading. Look at it in verse 17. He says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have a reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except that of what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Elikrim, or what is today Albania, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told him will see, and those who have never heard will understand this. This is our end game. This is our mission. This is our purpose. To bring the good news about Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. To bring about the obedience of faith of the Gentiles. Really, that, that phrase, obedience, is really the bookends of the letter of Romans from from chapter 1, verse 4, to chapter 16, at the end it says, the, the purpose of us, the purpose why we exist, is to bring about the obedience of the nations for the praise and glory of God. So Paul is going to where people have never heard before. Paul coined the phrase long before Captain Kirk that he's boldly going where no man has gone before, right? But this begs a question for you and me, like, go where? Like, why not stay here? I think Jesus' words, Jesus' last words to his, his followers brings a lot of clarity and weight to this. You know the words in, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus looks at his disciples, some of them who had just blown it, some of them who had just walked away and started fishing again. He comes to them after his resurrection, before his ascension, and he says to them, go, go, and as you go, make disciples of every nation And baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teach them. Teach them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. You are my possession. You belong to me. And I am with you always, even to the end of the days or the end of the age. Now, church... Maybe you came here to church this morning. You went to church. You just don't go to church. You are the church. You are the church. You 
go into your community and you go to the nations because you are the church. And you become the church in its fullness when you obey the words of God and go. Imagine for a moment that there was an earthquake that hit your city. Maybe this is not a hard thing to imagine because maybe some of you have been through that experience and lived through that experience. Imagine there's an earthquake that has hit your city and the rescue uh, manager, the head of operations, puts you in charge. And as you and your rescue team set out to save lives, you enter the first neighborhood and you see that people are like in dire need. People are dying everywhere and they need to be rescued from among the rubble. It's far more work than your teams can handle. It's overwhelming. However, you even know that there's other neighborhoods, neighborhoods that are close by and neighborhoods that are really far away. They also need to be rescued. But you are overloaded, like right where you're at. And if you send some, some people to those other neighborhoods, they'll, they'll lose valuable time when they could be saving lives, like right where you are. And add to that the reality that some of the other neighborhoods are really difficult to reach and they might even resist your help. What do you do? What, what do we do? Well, contemporary wisdom, even compassion, might lead us to stay like right where we are and help as many people as possible. This would like seem like the best use of our resources, right? It would take far more time, far more resources, much greater risk to get to those other places unless unless the commander said to you I don't just want you to rescue as many people as possible I want you to rescue people from every single one of those communities if that was the command And if it was clear, then you would use the resources at your disposal to make sure that people from every one of those communities was rescued. And this is the command to the church from our commander-in-chief. And it is clear. The whole world is in rubble. God wants people from every single people group to be rescued and ransomed for Christ. God's heart beats for the nations. And therefore, commitment to the Great Commission in our lives and in this church are indispensable, are necessary, and involves you and your resources to get the gospel to people groups that have not yet heard. The purpose and the mission of the church is that, that we are a people who belong to God. We are a people who who believe the good news, the gospel, and we are a people who believe that we need to bring that good news to the ends of the earth. This is the kind of person I want to be, and is this not the church that you want to be too? But how do we do this? How? I want you to consider three really practical ways that you can do that right now. But it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of you. The first is that we all pray. We all pray. Can you say that? We all pray. For the spread of God's praise among all peoples of the world. You know that every day you and I have opportunity to be a part of what God is doing around the world from our knees. Prayer for global missions is not just for a select few who pray on Monday nights here in the Go Room. Ask God for global eyes. One of the most practical ways to pray each morning, 
I don't know about you, but I get up and kind of read the news and just get up to date. And sometimes reading the news can be so discouraging and depressing, right? But what would it be like to just pray through that news? You read about Afghanistan and what's going on in Afghanistan. Pray for those Christians that are there who are really afraid and, and don't know what's going to become of their brothers and sisters. Many of them have gone into hiding and many of them are trying to flee. Pray for the church there. Pray for those in New Orleans and New York who have just suffered from natural disasters and are struggling. Maybe even ask God, what is my part in this? What am I to do? How am I to pray? Pray for God to move. All movements of God that open eyes and ears and understanding begin with prayer. But not just prayer. That's where it begins. We got to give and send for the spread of God's praise among all peoples of the world. I love what Paul gives. He gives us a practical picture of that in Romans chapter 15. You see it in verses 24 and 25. We're Paul talks about this collection to help him take the gospel to Spain where people have not yet heard in verse 24. So Paul hopes that the church there in Rome will help him get on this journey to go to Spain. The whole book of Romans is like one giant long missionary support letter. (laughs) You know, sometimes I write support letters and I'm thinking, whoa, uh, this doesn't compare to Romans at all. It's just like one support letter to help get him to get the gospel to Spain. It's like, here is the glory of God in the gospel. Now help me get that gospel to these people who really need to hear it. And at the same time, though, in verse 25, as important as it is to get the gospel to Spain to people who have not yet heard, Paul also tells them about his plan to go back to Jerusalem, to his home place, and to give them a gift, to give the church there a gift because they've just suffered a great famine and people in the church are struggling. I love this. It just gives us, it gives us a practical way to see how, and it also he encourages the churches where he's at in Turkey to rally together, to come together, to give to this cause, both rich churches and poor churches to contribute. And he gives attention to, what you see, he gives attention both to the urgent spiritual needs of people in Spain and also the urgent physical needs of the people back home. And then in Romans 16, verses 1 through 16, you see that Paul mentions 26 different people with different backgrounds and different gifts, all playing different roles and doing different tasks in the mission of the church. The entire church is represented here. Men and women, single and married, moms and dads, young and old, rich and poor. And these ordinary people are doing their part to spread the extraordinary fame of Jesus' name to the ends of the earth. You look at just like verse 3 in chapter 16, greet Priscilla and Aquila. These are fellow workers. They've risked their necks for my life. And uh, uh, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you in verse 6. And in verse 13, greet Rufus. Um, not the guy from Bill and Ted's Adventure. But greet Rufus, uh, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been like a mother to me as well. Who are some of these Romans 16 people that you know? There are some of those in this church. There's some Philam folks that would be listed here. There's a pretty special dentist, I'm sure, that would be listed here. There are some of you that I'm sure that would be listed here. Not only we pray and send and give, but we all go. Go for the spread of God's praise among all peoples of the world. Let's not be a church that's focused on getting people to come, but to leave, to go. Every follower of Jesus, every follower of Jesus should go and make disciples right where he or she lives or wherever God sends this involves making disciples where you work, it makes, making disciples where you live and where you play. Every single Sunday you come, right? Every single Sunday you come to church. 
and you're sent out to worship. You don't just don't come to worship. You're sent out to go to worship amongst those outside. So that they might see the good news and hear the good news and understand the good news. So that they might know the way to God. Your mission field is everywhere, including your own street and hood. And it's not just a vocation. It's a way of life. As we go, we make disciples. William, William dreamed of going to India. In fact, Will, William had posters of India on his room wall. He didn't just have pictures of NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys. He had pictures of India up there because he really wanted to go. He spent most of his time just praying and longing and waiting for the opportunity to go there with the gospel. And when the time came, he went with his wife and four young kids, all under the age of nine years old. He began learning the language and studying the people, learning the culture. And it took seven years before he saw the first person come to faith in Christ. Seven years. And he lived there for 40 years without a break and never to return back to his home. After 20 years on the field, a fire broke out in his house and his neighbor's houses. And it burned up irreplaceable work, including what were to be 10 versions of the Bible that were ready to go to press. Do you realize like what Jeff and Judy have done with the Chadian Arabic Bible. It's taken 20 years to get that full Bible printed into the press. And here, in just one moment, one ev- tragic event, all of that was lost. That was before there was like even such thing as, as the cloud storage, right? <sighs> Yet he persevered. And for another 20 years, they did tens more translations and replicated all of that work again. That was nearly 200 years ago. And William Carey, much like Paul the Apostle, was followed by hundreds of goers who would follow him to India and other parts of the world. And maybe there are some here. Maybe there's a group of you in our midst who God is calling to go, to be goers or senders or givers in this wonderful, spectacular story that God is unfolding and writing in human history, including today. But it's not done yet because as Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 says that God is calling people from every language, tribe, and peoples for the praise of his name, and that has not yet arrived. There is still work to be done. That God would use ordinary, broken human beings like me and you in this grand narrative is utterly amazing, don't you think? Every day, in every place, to everyone, you give the world like a front row seat to God's grace on display. You're like a walking billboard of God's grace. And he's overjoyed how his grace is beating through your imperfect but yet redeemed life. And through your church, that like what Ephesians 3:10 says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God now might be made known. Let's make Romans 15.10 our prayer today. Would you stand with me? Romans 15.10 says, Rejoice, O nations. I don't know how you translate that word, O. O. I think it's like universal in every language. It's like a gut word, isn't it? Rejoice, O nations, with his people. Rejoice, O Brentwood, with his people. 
Rejoice, O neighbor, with his people. What is your nation? What is your Gentile? I want to read this again, but instead of me putting the word there, you just say it out loud. Will you do that? Who is it that you need to live and worship among and with and call to be a part of his people? Rejoice, oh! Rejoice, oh! Pray this every day and watch what God will do. Give to this and see what God will do. Go for that and see what God will do. Lord Jesus, we come before you as this head and builder of this church. Continue to build us up. Continue to embolden us to take this incredible message that we belong to, to the world around us. Lord Jesus, may you use us. May you use this church to continue to fan the fame, flame of your fame around the world, Lord Jesus. We love you. In the name of Christ, we pray together. Amen.